This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons. Moving, it's a hassle and it's expensive. Not to mention that May through September is the busiest time to move. So what should you keep in mind as a prospective tenant navigating application feeds and stiff competition in Cook County? Here to discuss is Michelle Gilbert, Legal and Policy Director at the Law Center for Better Housing. Welcome to Reset, Michelle. Okay. Also with us is Michael Glasser, president of the Neighborhood Building Owners Association. Welcome to Reset, Michael. Thank you. Glad right. to be here. Great. We're also taking your calls. Are you, are you a renter in the Chicago area? What has it been like finding an apartment recently? Did you get charged for something you didn't expect? Give us a call now at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. Well, Mike, let's start off with you. How competitive would you say it's right now to get an apartment? And what are you hearing from some of your members? You know, we can call it a tale of two cities. Um, so I can't say that what's going to be true in the northern part of the city or downtown will be the same in the south or west sides or in suburban Cook. There's a lot of submarkets here. In general, demand for apartments is up. Mm-hmm. There's lots of reasons. And across all sectors, there's a lot of people hesitant to buy homes now for a variety of reasons. They find renting to be a better option. And then there's people uh, throughout the whole income spectrum that simply aren't in a position to buy and they need to rent. So, And then we have uh, the migrant situation that we're confronting now. So it's a lot, a lot of demand out there. So when a particular unit becomes available, I mean, how many applicants maybe uh, does a landlord get and how does that compare to like say previous years? Listen, it's a cyclical industry. And so right now demand is higher. It could be the case in six months that we're sitting in seven or 8% vacancy. It's never, ever going to be static. It's always evolving. At this point, I, I, I think it would, there's no one answer, but I think that it's un, not unusual to have a choice of two or three applicants for an apartment. Now, Michelle, you work specifically with low-income renters. What are you hearing from clients about the competition this summer? Well, it's very difficult. Uh, we're often talking to people who are trying to move because they're in eviction court, uh, they're uh, paying a very high amount for application fees. Um, and research shows that it's an amount that's in excess of what the application fee actually calls mm-hmm. co- costs a landlord. So there's been a lot of attention to that uh, with the federal government and the need to en- enact some controls over application fees. I would say the, the one that really is my pet peeve is charging the application fee for um, anyone 18 or older. I mean, we know 18 and 19-year-olds don't have credit. They're right. they're living at home. Now, you know, we just uh, talked about a, the previous segment about how Mayor Brandon Johnson is being pushed to end this deal with the Chicago Fire to allow affordable housing on this property instead of a soccer facility. I mean, when, when you hear about um, projects like that, do you think it should go for more affordable housing on those sites than, say, a soccer facility? Well, I'll say this. CHA uh, deal with a soccer facility has a lot of people paying attention who probably know more of the details than I do. I know that the city needs 
more affordable housing, not only to build more affordable housing, but also to keep the housing that we have in neighborhoods, keep it affordable. So one thing that's very important to our office is the displacement that comes with gentrification. And that's where I'd really encourage the city to put, whether it's tax credit money, TIF money into properties so that just because amenities are coming into the neighborhood doesn't mean that the people who've lived there historically are displaced. Right. Now, Mike, last summer we heard about bidding wars making their way into Chicago. Have you heard of anything like that taking place for, B- for rents? B- bidding for rents? Yeah. No, I haven't. I've, I've heard that within the context of real estate in Austin, Texas mm-hmm. for purchase, but I have not heard any specific uh, uh, comments about a, any kind of bidding war. I'm sure it exists. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which might mean that the unit's underpriced. Right, right. Now, according to data from apartment lists, retail prices for Chicago are increasing faster than in 95 out of the 100 of the biggest cities in the country. This has slowed since spikes in the past two years in 2021 and 2022. But still, from a a tenant perspective, Mike, uh, this is difficult to swallow. So I want to hear from you. What are some of the reasons this is happening? Well, again, there's an imbalance of demand and supply. Mm-hmm. Underlying all that comes some painful truths that we as housing providers have to face. And this is no exaggeration. Mm-hmm. The cost of labor, cost of material, cost of insurance, which is up 15 to 30%, property tax, um, and our loans are refinancing at higher rates. The costs of owning and operating a quality building have risen dramatically. With inflation last year at, at, at 5 to 8%, it was the truth that, we, that these type of increases had to be passed on. And we um, respect, and most of us are in respect and honor our tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of us who might typically have risen rents 2 to 3% a year would hard press in most instances to go above, say, 5%, 6%. It happens where they go higher. But for the most part, most owners and operators of naturally occurring affordable housing have relationships with their tenants, the small to mid-sized landlords or housing providers. We don't want to gouge. We want to take into account because we also don't want them to move. Right. So, And you also mentioned that, you know, um, there are some people who maybe renting seems more um, – uh, like a better option than buying a house. And we know interest rates have gone up for buying a house. So a lot of folks who are thinking of buying a home, maybe they've been pushed out because of higher interest rates mm-hmm. to, to basically rent. You know, it's not just that. It's um, credit card debt is up. A lot of folks who thought their student loans would be paid off have burdens. and uh, But they're saving money because they don't own cars anymore. <laughs> Right. But still, there's a lot of expenses, and there's a lot of expenses to getting into the ownership market, to own your home. It's a great idea, but it can't be for everybody. Now, Mike, we know property tax bills increase for lots of properties, particularly in Lincoln Park, the near south side, and Rogers Park. How has this been affecting landlords? <clears throat> the increases are of concern of also of great concern is the uncertainty. And I know that the assessor's working to bring a greater level of predictability to the taxes, but it's a major concern. And it's hard to consider, contemplate an investment in a building that you might want to renovate and, and add another 100 years of life to if you don't have a decent handle 
on where you're going to be on your property tax. So it's it's been a challenge, and I think it will continue to be a challenge. Now, we talked about the cost of renting. There are also fees, lots of fees. First, the application fee. They cover the cost of background and credit checks, but they uh, can really range the, the gamut when it comes to cost, everywhere from $35 to $65. Michael, Mike, why is that? Why are there so many fees, and why are they so expensive? <clears throat> there... Um, our ideas that have been bandied about. I, I'm sensitive to that issue per, mm-hmm. personally. I, I, I had a couple last weekend, and I it, it, it's tough to um, consider it, um, them devoting $100 towards credit check fees, and they might not get the apartment. And I already had applicants out for the apartment, and I had to disclose that. So the fact that people have to who have lower income, perhaps, who might get rejected four or five times, having to continually apply. I understand that. That's a stress and a strain. Mm-hmm. On the other side, having a uniform credit check, which we as housing providers, who so have to scrutinize who lives in our buildings. We also have to be comfortable with whatever kind of information we're getting. This is a hugely important decision mm-hmm. for a housing provider, who to put in our building. We need the resources and we need to devote time and staffing to make sure that we've, we've done a thorough background check of our prospective tenants. Now, Michelle, do you know if there are any rules governing how much a landlord can charge for this type of fee in Cook County? So that's a very good question because there is not a limit in the city of Chicago. Uh, the Chicago Landlord-Tenant Ordinance has been around for quite a few years now. The county, however, passed an ordinance in 2021, which does limit uh, the some of these excess fees, the uh, application fees, and, and most important, the move-in fee. It's something that we have really seen uh, increase incredibly in the city. And when it's the move-in fee, it's non-refundable. So uh, the county, when it passed the ordinance in 21, and so that applies in all of suburban Cook, except for Evanston and Mount Prospect, um, although I understand Evanston is considering a change, but that move, any of the move-in fees have to be just a pass-through. I mean, mm-hmm. if the landlord really has some charge due to the fact that someone's moving in, then they can pass through that cost to the renter, but it should not become a cost center. And I would say the answer to your question, why mm-hmm. does it happen? It's because it can. And it's one place where I think that Michael and I have some shared interest is that you do see with this smaller Landlords, kind of the traditional landlords that uh, we grew up with, mm-hmm. uh, do uh, you know think about whether they want to increase those fees because they want to keep their tenants. But one thing that we're definitely seeing is the increase in the corporate landlord. So uh, buying up properties, either single family homes or buildings, mm-hmm. and um, and and they'll just really monetize anything. I used to joke that they would. They would charge you to take the elevator, and I thought that was hilarious. But now, now I'm afraid to say it because I'm afraid they will actually do it. I mean, we recently had a tenant show us a, a package of fees that included snow removal and maintenance. I mean, wow. those are things landlords are required to do. Sure, sure. Michael, if I could respond to one sure. thing, I for a, a housing provider to. Um, Elevate those fees beyond a reasonable amount is one thing, but we have to understand there's a lot of time and effort and work that goes into properly vetting a tenant. 
especially if, if, if you know, and the paperwork involved, especially if you're going through the voucher route. Let's not minimize that just receiving the paperwork is one thing, but there's time and effort involved in scrutinizing and evaluating and making the best choice. All right. Well, last week, the Biden administration put out an advisory against so-called junk fees in the rental application process. Let's listen. Folks at home know uh, having to pay $100 or more just to fill out a rental application, even though the credit check can cost as little as $20. The application fees can be a profit center for landlords. Some accept applications from hundreds of potential tenants, far more than they could seriously consider renting to, just to collect these fees. And then some charge surprise fees just to pay your rent online or fees for services that should be included in rent, like mail sorting and pest control. Michelle, have you heard of these so-called surprise fees from your clients, and how does it impact them? Uh, We definitely do hear about the surprise fees. One of the administration's recommendations, which I would agree with if we can't get it nationally, is something that we should look at here in Chicago, is that all of those kind of fees need to be disclosed up front. Um, The impact of having a fee like that, if the tenant doesn't know it ahead of time, is that it becomes more difficult to pay their rent. Uh, They're actually, again, looking at the county ordinance, the landlord is not supposed to apply the rent payment to those fees, but we we know that it happens. But just overall, it it makes it more expensive. And it means that you can't comparison shop because you might think that you're getting a better deal, but then you find out about the fees later. So we definitely believe it should be required that all of those fees are presented up front before the landlord collects the uh, application fee. Okay. A reminder, we'll we'll be taking your calls as a renter. Are you a renter in the Chicago area? What has it been like finding an apartment recently? Did you get to charge something you didn't expect? Give us a call now at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866 915-WBEZ. Okay, that's uh, that was Michelle Gilbert of the Law Center for Better Housing and Michael Glaser of the Neighborhood Building Owners Alliance. This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons. We've been talking about the high cost of rent and navigating the fees associated with renting a new apartment. From, from paying for a credit and background check to move-in fees and security deposits. Now, let's dig deeper into those checks. They're an essential part of the way landlords screen for future tenants, but advocates say that having a criminal record or an eviction filing can lead to applicants not getting an apartment. Michelle Gilbert, legal and policy director for the Law Center for Better Housing, and Mike Glasser, president of the Neighborhood Building Owners Association, is still with us. Joining us now is Amadou Drame, director of the Illinois Justice Project. Welcome to Reset, Amadou. Thank you for having me, Michael. Great. And we want to hear from you. What's your experience been like in the screening process? Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. And we do actually have a call. We've got Sarah in Libertyville on the line. Hi, Sarah. What's on your mind? Well, I'm looking for a new place to live right now because the building I lived in in Liberty. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, sorry about that, Sarah. Maybe you can call back in because we cannot actually hear this. So, so uh, Amadou, you know, it might seem basic, but why is there a need to screen tenants? Well, it is an option that housing providers have. Um, it is not something that's necessarily mandated uh, in, in our state and county, uh, but there are practical reasons to do so. Um, you certainly would want to verify that a person could afford the unit that they live in. I think that's a valid reason. Uh, you certainly want to make sure that the tenant is someone who would fit into the environment um, and not perhaps disrupt the environment or cause any trouble or issues. Um, so those would be reasons that I would imagine a housing provider would want to screen a tenant. But I, I would argue also that uh, we, we should have some guidelines or guidance around what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Michael, and um, landlords, do they need this screening process? I'll say um, it's akin to uh, um, uh, if one's daughter was going to go on a date or marry somebody, you'd want to know whoever that person is. You'd want to know about this. This is a, a building that uh, a, a, somebody purchased and invests in sweat just. Uh, Played a lot of sweat to own, and let's look at the perspective of the, of the smaller housing provider and the mid-sized housing providers. Um, if you make a mistake, the process of getting rid of that of, of move, having that tenant moved out through an eviction process, and we detest evictions. Let's be clear, but it's a, right now about a six to eight month process, wow. which can really kill you wow. if you're a small owner and a mid-sized owner. So we have to be careful. We appreciate and respect all the concerns that I've heard, the challenges of ex-offenders, the challenges of those who faced eviction. We've, been, we've discussed this. I get it. But on the other hand, this is naturally occurring affordable housing, creating the bulk of the affordable housing in the city are owned by smaller folks. They need to be able to look and, and see who's moving into their buildings. All right, we do actually have another caller. We got Tim in Rogers Park on the line. Tim, welcome to Reset. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, just listening in about the uh, situation with multiple offers, best in rentals. I am a real estate agent that's helping some people find rentals, and literally have people losing out in multiple offer situations because of competition that people are offering a hundred and three hundred dollars over listed rental prices. So it is happening in Chicago. Wow. Wow. Michelle, do you want to respond to that? Well, actually, I, I'd kind of like to go back to the point mm-hmm. about the eviction process. Okay. I'm, I'm in an eviction court certainly every week. I supervise 26 attorneys. We're in eviction court a lot. There have been a lot of changes. We had a system prior to the pandemic where many people were evicted on the first court date with as few as seven days notice of the case. There has been change and and introduced a fundamental element of due process. The process does take longer, but it it would be a very strange outlier for it to take six or eight months. 
Wow. And remember, we want to hear from you about this uh, topic, renting and the the, 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 uh, the housing crunch. What's your experience been like in the screening process? Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. Before we get to our next caller, Amadou, you were part of the push for the Just Housing Amendment. What What does that aim to protect? Yeah, and, and thank you for the question. In fact, the last time I was on this show, I was with the uh, sponsor, of that ordinance, who's now our mayor, Brandon Johnson. Uh, but the, the Cook County Just Housing Ordinance um, is a piece of legislation that was passed in 2019 that uh, eliminated the use of certain criminal records, uh, specifically non-conviction-related records, mm-hmm. um, the use of those in housing transactions. So arrest records that do not lead to a conviction, uh, youth or juvenile adjudication records or juvenile criminal records, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, as well as records that have been expunged, sealed, et cetera, can't be used in, in, in decisions related to housing transactions. But the ordinance was introduced uh, and passed by the county board because there are a l- large number of people in Cook County who have arrest or conviction records, um, and they too have families. And we're being driven to housing instability and homelessness because we had laws uh, on the books that didn't necessarily speak to what the parameters would be Mm -hmm. around how to evaluate uh, a person's background. And so what we had uh, previously, and still to a degree to the extent that we have not fully implemented it, uh, is a situation, was a situation where uh, a housing provider could look back 10, 20, 30 years into a person's record uh, without necessarily scrutinizing it, hearing mitigating information or information that explains both the circumstances around the conviction or arrest at the time because it was previously legal uh, and what a person has done with their life since then. And so what the ordinance went ahead and did was created a framework by which those decisions could be made. Uh, So there is a three or I would say four step process uh, to that ordinance. Uh, Step one is people getting information about uh, the tenant screening process in general. And so they're supposed to get that in writing. Uh, Step two is a sort of pre-qualification evaluation. So a person is evaluated uh, on the merits, basically not, you know, everything excluding uh, an arrest or conviction record. Uh, Mm -hmm. Step three, uh, an evaluation, an optional evaluation by the housing provider of a person's uh, criminal background. Um, And then step uh, four uh, is a decision whether a person is going to be approved or denied uh, that unit, and then a person obviously in the in the situation where they were denied would have an opportunity to uh, explain what happened or to petition that denial. Well, let's take a call now. We've got Emma in Andersonville. Emma, thank you for calling Reset. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, so I called in because I was recently searching for an apartment in Andersonville, um, and I just wanted to comment on the bidding wars that I experienced as a potential tenant. Um, where we would submit an application and then the uh, manager would reach out of the property management company and ask us to offer, you know, an additional 100, 200 because other applicants had also offered that. Um, And it just became kind of ridiculous submitting multiple applications, paying so many different fees multiple times. um, And yeah, a huge problem as a renter. Well, Michelle, what do you what do you think about that? Earlier in the show, Mike says he's heard about it. He wasn't sure it's happening here, but clearly it, there's an example that it is happening here. What do you what do you think about this? It, it doesn't surprise me. I know that there uh, is a scarcity of housing. I mean, obviously, I think, as Michael pointed out earlier, I think it does depend on neighborhood. 
One thing I'll point out that the caller said was talking about the multiple application fees. And that's one of the recommendations from the Biden administration and the FTC that's been looking at, um, sorry, the consumer uh, protection. Okay, completely cannot remember the name of the organization I'm citing, but looking at the um, multiple uh, application fees. And there really should be a process where a tenant can self-submit uh, we can get free credit reports now or a service where sort of like the common application for applying to college, where if you're looking for housing, you can allow more than one landlord for a set fee. Again, we're very concerned at, at how high these are and how uh, they're not necessarily related to the cost to the landlord. I'm gonna do, let me ask you this about this so-called bidding war that's going out there. I mean, from, from a certain perspective, uh, a prospective renter could say, hey, I, I uh, reached out to this landlord about this about this apartment, and all of a sudden they raised it by $100, $200, $300. Have you been hearing situations like that? Uh, I have not personally, but I could imagine ways in which that could impact individuals and families. I mean, in our housing market, you know, Mike Glasser spoke earlier about this, but we've got a situation where we're losing our affordable housing supply as is, and we are losing it the most for people who can least afford affordable housing, people who are living in poverty or in housing uh, policy spaces, people who are at 30% of the area median income or below. And so for for an individual who is already struggling to make ends meet, who's paying well over a third of their family income towards housing expenses, having to repeatedly pay fees, uh, a variety of fees, um, is an excruciating thing to experience and at some point um, takes away from an individual's ability to just afford the actual housing that they seek to live in. And so it is something that we're going to have to rein in um, in some way, shape, or form uh, to the extent that those fees are certainly not related to um, the actual process itself as uh, was previously stated. I think it would be remiss if we had this conversation uh, for 40 minutes today and not talk about the disproportionate impact on the basis of race mm-hmm. for uh, the tenant screening reports and looking at evictions. Uh, the uh, data is so clear that evictions are more likely to be filed in black communities. Mm-hmm. That's not just me talking having spent years on the 14th floor of the Daily Center, but uh, LCBH collected a decade's worth of eviction records and analyzed, and it's clear that in um, black communities, the um, uh, eviction rates are two to four times uh, uh, white community areas. All right. Well, let's get to another caller, Sarah from Libertyville. Sarah, what's on your mind? Thank you for calling Reset. Hey, thanks. I just, my building was bought six months ago by a investment by a man who brags on LinkedIn that he has built a $100 million investment portfolio for rental properties, and he owns like 80 properties. And um, he has done one unethical thing after another. He told different things, different quoted different prices to all the different tenants with different fees, like maintenance, a maintenance fee, some removal fee, different utility. Then when I decided that I would renew, because I was kind of desperate to stay there, he put a clause in the lease, which is the standard lease. He wants you to sign an 18-month lease, but the price is only fixed for 12 months. And we, I just had this huge argument with him about, about doing that. I, put, I finally didn't 
finally gave in when I when I thought I was going to move out. But I think I'm the only one in the building who read that. And um, he promised he would enforce a no smoking clause, but then he let smokers move in below me, and he won't enforce that, and he told me I should just leave. So. Okay, Sarah. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to Reset. I'm Michael Puente in for Sasha Ann Simons. And we're talking with Michelle Gilbert, Legal and Policy Director at the Law Center for Better Housing, Michael Glasser, President of the Neighborhood Building Owners Association, and Amadou Drame, Director of the Illinois Justice Project. And we're taking your calls. Are you a renter or a landlord who's interacted with the Just Housing Ordinance? or been taken to eviction court. We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. Let's go to Josh in Skokie, who's on the line. Josh, welcome to Reset. What do you, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, I will uh, try to paraphrase my situation in as few words as possible. <laughs> um, I, am, uh, I do not have uh, anything... Uh, I, I would pass a background check with flying colors. Um, my partner has an expungible criminal offense on her record. We have the last few places that we've rented had to effectively pretend that I live there alone because uh, despite me being gainfully employed and uh, able to pass a background check, uh, the policy at any of the buildings that I've lived in has been that uh, you basically carry a red strike on your your uh, record everywhere you go that uh, just like other elements of the criminal justice system seem uh, set up to keep you just stuck in this revolving door of being jobless and homeless. But it's been a, a weird situation for me because uh, in one case, as soon as the landlord found out that the both of us were living there together, they started hounding us to provide my wife's information so they could get her on the lease and run a background check. And it's, it just seems crazy to me. I'm going to do, what do you think about this situation? Somebody who's uh, with somebody uh, who has an expungible offense and just, you know, running into problems when trying to rent. Have you heard this before? No, I certainly have heard about this situation uh, far too many times. The the Cook County just housing ordinance has a three year look back period, meaning Three years from the point of a person being convicted of a crime, a housing provider can look at records that fit within that window. Anything outside of that is an issue. Uh, Unfortunately, um, one challenge, which I know that the Cook County Board President and the Cook County Board of Commissioners, as well as the Cook County uh, Human Rights Commission, uh, are working on is increasing staff capacity to enforce the Just Housing Ordinance. Oftentimes, we pass these fair house fair housing ordinances or, um, you know, fair employment laws, you know, ban the box, those sort of things, um, without putting in place the proper enforcement mechanisms to make sure that they effectively are implemented, not just in public housing spaces, but also within the private market as well, which can take uh, a bit of time. Um, And so we've been working very closely with the Cook County Assessor's Office to make sure that housing providers are aware of that. But in instances where people feel like they've been discriminated against, which this could potentially be one, um, they should reach out to uh, the Cook County Human Rights Commission um, as one potential place where a complaint could be filed. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also the Illinois Human Rights Commission, which has, uh, or Department of Human Rights, excuse me, which has its own 
uh, process by which you can file a complaint, as well as uh, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which, um, depending on who's in office uh, in the executive branch, uh, is, is able to enforce as well. If I could well, sure, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you this, but we got about a little bit more than a minute. How are you working to ensure that prospective tenants are still given individualized assessments and an opportunity to provide contextual information for not meeting the qualifications of the screening process? You know, that, that's so rare. Does it go advance to that length? I okay. have to. I just want to say that enforcement, without us being involved and asked and spoken to about the laws and the increased enforcement is dead wrong. We as in the industry need to be brought in and viewed as part of the solution. Mm. We've seen no education, no outreach from the 50 or so groups that were advocating for passage of the act. Mm. Once it was passed, despite promises, we have, I have 11 organizations already and willing and eager to meet and be educated. I think education mm. on this very important issue is more is will be more effective than enforcement. Yeah. Well, respectfully, uh, okay. I would say that I've been a part of different uh, mm -hmm. training experiences with various housing entities. I know one challenge that we have uh, in the Chicagoland area is that there are uh, a number of apartment associations. We've got the Realtors, the Neighborhood Building Owners uh, uh, Alliance. We've got the Apartment Association, and so we probably could do a better job of coordinating, but there certainly has been education. That's taken. Well, well, unfortunately, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. That's Michelle Gilbert, Legal and Policy Director at the Law Center for Better Housing, and Michael Glazer, President of the Neighborhood Building Owners Association, and Amadou Drame, Director of the Illinois Justice Project. Thank you to all for being here on Reset.